0: Hi, everyone. We hope you're enjoying our new season on B-Magic. Before we get started on today's episode, we want to let you know about a special event we have coming up. The first ever Elixir Wizards Conference is this June 16th and 17th. All online, two afternoons, a mix of talks, panels, and of course, the hallway track. As a podcast listener, you can get a discounted ticket by going to smr.tl slash conf-podcast. We'll put that link in the show notes. Hope to see you then.
1: Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by Smart Logic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Justice Epin and I'll be your host. I'm joined by my co host, Sunny Mint, and my producer, Eric Ostrich. And today's episode is going to be fun. We've got Parker and Shannon Selbert from Soren 2 on the show today. They are calling in from their garage. They have umbrellas hanging behind them. Where are y'all calling from, Selbert's?
2: It is outside of Chicago. So it's due west of Chicago in a little... It's not that little a suburb. It's an
3: enclave.
2: Yes, an enclave called Wheaton.
3: You can't tell that you're in Chicago. You certainly look like if you turned the camera around, you're on a beach. So you succeeded there.
4: That's great.
2: Yeah, it looks kind of like a patio in Austin. I like Sunday's reality. I'm I'm
4: taking it. We're on a beach. I'm in. Yeah.
1: There's two big reasons that we had to have you on the show. One is... Parker, you developed Obon. It's a huge tool in the Elixir community, so we have to talk about it. And the other thing is that you guys have this amazing dynamic duo thing going on, and we've had uh, Bruce and Maggie on the show before, and, and the husband-wife combination working together on a company I think is one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. It's just awesome, and I have to know like how it's going. So those are the things that we're gonna cover today, but we wanna start like at the top and basically learn about your backgrounds, how you got into tech, and how you guys you know came around to starting a company together.
2: We have a, a lot of ground to cover to try to rival Bruce and Maggie and husband-wife duoship.
4: I would like to mention I, I'm not going to try. <laughs> I think they're fantastic.
2: I don't think it's a
1: competition. You guys
2: can just like, right. build on top
1: of each other like a layer cake or something. It'll be great.
2: That's great.
4: I got started in tech. I wrote my first program to win concert tickets to game a radio station contest. I was working at a telemarketing company in Utah and I was the night ops person running backups and a shout out to all the SCO Unix people from the 90s. I was there and decided to get myself some backstage passes to the cure using all the dialers and the AV equipment at the telemarketing company that I worked for. So it was a little touch and go in the beginning because the errors, I had to figure out which line they were on, try to remedy the situation and then run out into the dialer room and see which computer popped up with the telemarketing script, which told me that the radio station had answered so that I could then hear what number caller I was to figure out if I had won the tickets or not. So it was me In a second-hand pantsuit with a very, very tight dyed black bob, running in and out of a dialer room, trying to figure out which screen had answered and had won me the tickets.
1: I'm just trying to parse the things that I don't know because they're like technology I've never heard of, and the things that I don't know because like the 90s, and the things that I don't know because of telemarketing being completely out of my wheelhouse.
4: Well, it's pantsuit is this one (laughs) thing.
2: I don't think that's the part. No,
4: that wasn't it. No, that was for me. That That was was definitely part of it. Okay. We used to wear them. I don't know why. If you thought using the restroom at work was hard enough, the pantsuit really made it a bonus. Did you win? Oh, I did win. And so I did win backstage passes to the cure. And it did finally work out. And I mean, it's part of working at a telemarketing company in the 90s was... having access to a T1 was limited. And that was a huge boon for me.
0: Did work yell at you at all for using like resources?
4: Did work? Did work no.
2: <laughs> it's important to know. So Parker that assured me,
4: yes, I was a night op. So I was running backups. And I also think it's fair that I questioned sharing my actual story. And Parker said the statute of limitations has passed. So I'm totally fine. And anyone <laughs> listening to this, I'm retroactively sorry.
2: Yeah. Okay. And I, so I'll go, I started programming in Pearl. I ActionScript a little bit and then Pearl, when I moved to Chicago from Florida, I didn't have internet for about a month and I had the Pearl like camel book and I started, but what I ended up using it for was to manage my very sizable illegal music collection. And I'm pretty sure statute of limitations ran out on that one too. So we're both safe.
4: Yeah. I think you're good.
0: It's just a great story. That's all it is. People listening. That's yeah.
4: Right. We're on <laughs> Did... the run from our children.
0: Oh, really? Y'all you, you, you
2: have children.
4: We yeah. have three children. Oh,
2: wow. Because the there are three kids in there. Okay. Real, wow. That's awesome. It's less They're... noisy out here with the chickens and the birds and everything.
4: They find you.
1: Oh my gosh. Are they old enough to know that you have like a party garage?
4: Oh, I love that you think we have young children. Absolutely. So, our oldest is a junior. Uh, She's a stats major. She's a junior in college. Rock
1: and roll. Very cool. I always get digressed by children because I love them. I think we've had other people on the show. Am I right about this, Eric? That we've had other people on the show that got into programming by like trying to cheat ticket lotteries and stuff? Because I feel like someone on the show was
0: stealing Hamilton tickets. The only other one that I've, know for sure is that Noko Geary started because Aaron Patterson wanted to get tickets to the Lord of the Rings midnight showing and accidentally bought the entire theater.
2: Yes, in this case though, Shannon did not get repeated (laughs) charges to her credit card. I did not.
4: I just had to run back and forth and hopefully grab the right headset with the DJ announcing my score.
1: Let's talk about Oban. First of all, TLDR for the totally new Elixir developer, what is Oban?
4: It's a persistent background job processor. It's written in Elixir. So, shout out for that. It uses Postgres. That's to make it simple, but similarly, everyone pretty much uses Postgres. So, it's just a fantastic thing that works together. Oban keeps the data after all that's processed. So, that's what I think is spectacular about it. It allows you to monitor the life cycle of a job. And the UI, aside from being really fun to scale, allows you to check the state of those jobs in specific.
2: It's not the first time anybody's used Postgres as a job queue. Right. But the kind of differentiating factor is that it keeps jobs after they're processed and does everything with this life cycle, so that you can inspect exactly when something ran, how long ago it was, how long it took, and, and that kind. So the purpose is to make it a centralized business tool part of your business logic, not something that you just fire and forget and, and wait for stuff to happen.
4: Because it's important.
1: For a developer coming to Elixir from, let's say, Ruby, where they're familiar with background processing using like Sidekick, I'm wondering if you could maybe kind of compare that just for the very, like the most naive person, but then for the person who's, let's say, a little bit, if you've been around Elixir at all, you know about Oban. but I guess the question is like, if I'm an Elixir developer just getting started, why would I go to Oban as opposed to trying to roll my own processes?
2: Well, I'll cover the first part about the Sidekick transition. But I'm fond of the
4: person who wrote Kick, just to say that. Yeah.
2: So Kick is an Elixir translation of Sidekick and something that worked and added a lot of the Sidekick Pro and Enterprise features so that it would work with Ruby as this kind of straddling of two languages. And so there are some similarities in coming from that. And then a lot of learnings that came from that. But the big difference there, I mean, the the marquee one is that Sidekick works in Redis and this works in in Postgres, but then there are a lot of other differences after that, usually around this kind of lifecycle notion and persistence and the fact that I can insert a whole bunch of things logically at the same time and my jobs are one of those things. You can't do that with Sidekick or a Redis-based queue.
3: Can you speak to the motivations behind why you wanted to make this, and versus using something else that it might have existed? Or
2: part of the motivation was around having this ability to actually inspect things afterwards and have that observability, and to do things in a way that's a bit more native to how we tend to do things in Elixir. And there's uh, XQ and other things that kind of bring the sidekick mentality over but they don't tend to have really great UIs or they don't have the same feature sets and needed something that was kind of a clean slate to be able to do that.
4: It performs those complex tasks and looks beautiful while doing it.
1: You guys are a great team. Do you share a GitHub account? Am I right about this? We Not
4: a, anymore. We share
1: a
2: Twitter account, but we have two different GitHub accounts.
4: So there okay. was a time in the beginning that there just wasn't enough time and we did share Slack and GitHub and... You wouldn't really know which one you were speaking with, depending on where we were. I did notice that in a few
3: places, there was the handle Sorin1 and Sorin2. And I was wondering how you decided who
2: was who. Well, the name of the business is Sorin. But at the time when we wanted to get the domain, Sorin wasn't available. So we were looking for something else. And there were two of us. We went with Sorin2. And then it kind of expanded out from there.
1: And, and where does the name come from?
4: Our son's middle name is Sorin. Um, And I had been consulting alone, and Parker had been working for a firm. And when we had our son, our second child, we decided to go off on our own.
1: So it has nothing to do with the Danish philosopher? Is he Danish?
4: Soren Kierkegaard? Yeah. I believe he is Danish.
1: But it has nothing to do with him.
4: I mean, it's a family name as well. I have Norwegian. My my mother's family is Norwegian. Mm -hmm. So... The Ur makes a great logo type, mm. which is that O with a slash I was through it. That. The o he, with
5: the slash, it's just too good.
4: He loved it. And yeah. it's a family
2: name, so. It's like the Null set, but it's a letter. <sighs> Perfect.
1: I can hear some soaring Gierkegaard fans right now, like, heartbreaking, so, so crushed by this. I'm sorry. The
4: time. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. For all the it's... Danish people, it's a Norwegian Ur. I'm sorry to break your hearts.
3: What was it like when you were first getting started? Like, were there any major challenges that you had to face?
2: Yeah, I would say so. We started in 2008, which is when there was that really big financial depression and uh, didn't have many clients and didn't have much to show. And so it was definitely a struggle to, to build that up and to get at least some kind of clientele and reputation.
4: But there's a there's a huge positivity in the, in your commodity being the knowledge that you can take in and then transition into art or craft or
2: product.
1: And so 2008, is this when you started the company because you weren't building like Oban, right?
2: No. no. We had yeah, to proceed, uh, Jose, by about four years. To right, right. Uh, yeah, that was when we started the company. Uh, Oban itself started... Two and a half years ago,
1: what kind of like technology were you using back in two thousand eight?
2: Action script and okay. Rails.
1: Yeah. Okay. rock and roll. We use some Rails sometimes. I use yeah. Rails sometimes.
0: I want to say Smart Logic around that time was also doing Action Script as well because when I first started, one of the other developers was a technical reviewer of the Adobe Flex book.
2: Oh yeah! <laughs> wow. Yeah. ActionScript, when they did three, they pretty much read through a bunch of Java books and the like old Java Gang of Four Patterns book and then decided to just layer ActionScript two on top of it. And then that's what it became. We don't miss that at all.
4: No, that's agreed.
1: You both are working on this open source project together. You're married. What are other conversations at home? Like, you know, honey, can you handle this process scheduling error that I'm getting or
4: I think it's really when we decided to switch into more defined roles because you really can't neglect support from the beginning. Mm -hmm. It builds an immense amount of trust and features are great. People have a lot of feature requests. Features are exciting. Features are passionate. Those are the types of conversations we have. And then Mm -hmm. trying to figure out when to slate those. Defining our roles helped background process, our own life to give more balance to our, our personal lives.
1: That's a great metaphor. That's going to go over really well.
3: Yeah. I actually had like a similar question. You probably just answered part of it, but there's like so much mixing of the lives here. It's already hard enough. Now that a lot of us are working from home. Are there any techniques you use to really separate home life from work life?
4: to add to it we've homeschooled our kids for the last year they typically attend private school so we rushed back from europe just in to february just to it's not like- answer that directly but to just accentuate how important that became right
2: you just put all life in a blender and then press and
4: blood. that's what happened and so you know treating somebody like a colleague and maybe like you don't know them so deeply and personally when you disagree is not something we're the best at but is something we've learned is to if you're going to go to that side of being impolite and criticizing or having those antagonistic reviews on requests and get hub or anything really in life dinner whatever we've learned to err on the side of infamiliarity please,
1: please tell me about like a traumatic pr
4: review. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we we will end up. It's not even about PRs. It can just be about somebody asking for support. So the the hidden side of this is that at least probably more than fifty percent of the time goes into support. Just helping people in in mass or one on one, whether that's on Slack or through GitHub issues or through emails. Get a lot of emails, and sometimes it's just somebody's asking for more attention than they probably should, and I'm possibly too accommodating. And Shannon's like, no, you got to shut that down. No, that's too much. Make him pay.
4: He calls me (laughs) at that point, he calls me businesswoman. All right, businesswoman. It's like, well, I've just done Latin root words for the morning for two people. I've made pizza dough.
1: Latin root. This is So you guys are doing like a classical homeschooling type of thing?
4: You know, we are not classical homeschoolers. I have nothing against it. We didn't plan on doing this. So luckily... The school that our kids attended were they were very helpful with curriculum yeah. to kind of bridge when they could come back. So we we haven't been left to our own devices, which is best for our children, really.
1: Wow, we've so, had a number of homeschoolers on the show.
4: I mean, yeah, and I love it. I yeah. I don't feel that's been negative at all in our life for this last year. Everything has been an experiment. It's been magic. So the magic is, is that it's complex and it's happening, but we won't realize it until it's finished. Can There's you
3: take l- that exact definition and put it towards like the code side of magic? I'm just so curious, because you said the exact slate of words.
4: I feel that that's really the best part of the magic of Open. It does take complex processes, things that you would normally have to manually manipulate, and it does them beautifully behind the scenes and presents you with this at least the pro version presents you with the ui right now which is something that i'm very fond of particularly you're fond of a lot of the other more in-depth aspects
2: i think the reason that so many of us are in elixir in the first place is that we are very pro magic compared to erlang Mm. we have used gen server whereas in erlang you had some sort of emacs macro that people had passed down for generations that would fill in the entire gen server template and then you go and you override stuff that you want and that's just not very magical it's very kind of brute force and we have these expectations of things being beautiful in a way and i think a lot of beauty comes down to simplicity and simplicity is magic because of course it's not really simple
4: but it's it's safe
2: you just don't have to think about it because you have these safe yeah. It's safe. Safe
4: It's safe. It's not necessarily the fastest, but it's the safest.
1: More broadly speaking, in terms of technology, generally, what, how do you think about a philosophy of magic? I mean, the number one thing people say about Rails, for example, is like, there's too much magic. It's doing too much for me. I don't know. I don't know what's happening under the hood. And you're taking the opposite approach, which is magic is great. Let's like give it away for free, you know, and I actually tend to agree with you more than the other position but like how do you think about it more broadly speaking in terms of in technology generally
2: i think there's a big caveat and having spent a lot of time with rails and then even trying to modify other things when or just even metaprogramming in ruby which is sort of like fighting the precedence of some hook you're going to evaluate to inject code that's magic that's uncontrollable magic that's not the same thing as having a really nice hygienic macro system like Elixir Borrow from Clojure, where you can write something that is magical, but you can inspect at every step and see exactly what you're going to get. So I guess one of them is more like black magic based on strange voodoo sacrifices, and the other one is much more like white magic and something where there's no harm. It's just helping.
4: Right. And I don't want to go down the road of sounding like I'd prefer the lawnmower man over the safe... Controlled in the beam, kind of magic. I think that's a beautiful thing. I'd love to live in the beam, but I do not want the lawnmower man reality.
3: We just started exploring the idea of beam magic. So to talk about like the good light magic and like the black magic side of things is kind of funny. There are actually people who feel very strongly about both magic that, you know, helps you under the seams and then. There are people who are like, but it does too much for you, and then you don't know it, so then they, they're against it. So it's kind of funny. You, you have the two set, the duality of it.
2: There's another part of it, too, where I think using magic can hide what something's really doing, and then people rely on it, and they don't truly understand it. But that's, that's kind of also a trade-off that we all have to make to even be able to do anything in the modern programming world.
1: So I'm clear, is Lawnmower Man a movie reference? It is a movie reference, yes. Stephen oh, okay. King book,
2: movie reference,
1: yeah.
4: I do find it very scary, I'm sorry.
1: I'll have to go watch it. I'm just discovering this now, so.
2: The guy's um, brain gets put into a computer system to make him smarter, and he ends up moving his entire spirit in there and becomes this all-powerful, godlike creature. It's it's very strange. It's a oh, Stephen King book.
1: You ever read C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy? Oh. kind of has some of that in there. <laughs>
2: i think i think we've got some like screw tape letters history but uh no
1: okay well i I promise you i'm more on
4: the orson scott card age range kind of again it dates me
1: no i love orson scott card ender's game is great and also the fact that you know about screw tape letters is going to definitely please some fans of the show so i think you might have just won back the people who are soren kierkegaard fans
2: The all too critical intersection of people who listen to elixir podcasts but also love the screw tape Letters.
4: And, and Soren, Soren Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard.
2: Yeah. those people exist. <laughs> Let me tell you. I get, I'm sure I'm, they <laughs> do.
4: I don't want to offend anyone. I, I have nothing against Soren Kierkegaard at all. I'm a huge fan.
1: Okay, so we've talked a little bit about magic, broadly speaking, some of the benefits of Oban. Let's just talk about the beam. What has sort of been your experience You know, diving in? First of all, here's a question. Have you come to Erlang through Elixir or did you already know Erlang before Elixir or have some familiarity with it?
2: This one's actually kind of funny. Years ago, as you might have noticed, there's sort of a Scandinavian lean from Shannon's side, and she had learned of Erlang as being this Ericsson Swedish kind of product and had mentioned it.
4: I had fondness for the yes, idea. There was fondness I for was it. trying to direct us.
2: But this was a pretty long time ago. This would be 2012, 2011. So before Elixir had come about. And I took it to heart and read joe's book joe Joe armstrong's book and really liked the ideas but didn't have any application for them it didn't fit there was no framework i could use i couldn't pitch work for it
4: so i got a maybe maybe later
2: and then once elixir came out that provided this much nicer path to kind of jump in and start using the beam
3: what would you say is the best part of maintaining an open source project
4: camaraderie at least even just between the two of us, but in the whole open source community, I probably don't participate in that as much as I should, but I recognize it and I feel it's very supportive. Those contributions. I know it's there. The stability of it is great. It builds a lot of trust to have that code base there.
2: I think trust is probably the biggest part. Recently, We read uh, Nadia Engball's book, the one about um, maintaining open source projects. And in it, she talks about these different modes of open source and how a majority of projects are stadiums, what it means there are a lot of people that use them, but there are very few people that actually contribute to them. There's a lot of observers. A lot of observers are, are users. And Open definitely fits into that picture where there aren't that many people that contribute to it. That's okay. There's a lot of people with visibility on it and kind of helping drive it
4: and i'm often thanking people even in just support back and forth via email i'm thanking them for helping refine it it's a huge help
1: you started in 2008 were you married before or after
4: before and just in all in full disclosure he did read that book for me but i read chris pines book on ruby for him <laughs> so i feel like i just need that said we do court each other with information it's such an important I know, but it is. It's such Sunday night. We court each other with information because it's passionate, but it's also, it's alive to us. It's real. It's a craft.
3: My boyfriend is also a developer and we can't talk about this stuff. We don't fight about anything, but if we talk about code, we are <laughs> at it. I really appreciate that you have this kind of
4: relationship. I admire this. <laughs> there's a right and a wrong answer to things and
1: and you're right, I, and he's wrong. And
4: I'm not saying I withhold food, <laughs> but
1: <laughs> Eric, you worked with your wife to learn how to like build websites and stuff like that, right?
0: Yeah, she had a brief period of wanting to become a developer and did the rails. Boot no uh I kept Railsbridge. She did one of those and spent about six months before a veterinary part-time job popped up. She's like, I'm gonna go do that.
1: <laughs> so And I'm definitely not in a relationship, but I do sometimes send people uh snarky Docker memes. So I kind of get it sharing books with your loved ones.
2: Snarky yeah. Docker, I mean you can move on to Kubernetes. There's that's just right for any kind of parody you wanna lay on. <laughs>
1: There are good Kubernetes memes for sure. There are lots of good Kubernetes memes. <laughs> oh, cool. All right. So oh, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the cooler features of Oban, global concurrency lock. Eric, is this your question?
0: Yeah. I think I saw recently you posted that probably last week or two weeks ago that you were able to get a global concurrency lock on handling batches or something.
2: One of the early adopters of relatively early adopters of Oban was cars.com through what chris mccord was doing with some some dockyard help there and they had this kind of flow where they were using broadway to pull in jobs and batches like the broadway style of task ingestion, and they wanted to just be able to use open to do stuff and there was this push for being able to kind of extend it so that we could do what ended up being called this chunk processor. Of being able to process like 1,000 jobs all at, at once and digest them or, or do something. The other part of that, though, was they wanted to be able to have this concurrency where the only one node out of, say, five or 10 was doing it. And you need this global concurrency. And so it took a pretty long time to figure out a way where we could, because uh, there's no monkey patching in Elixir, you can't just load something on and replace it. It all has to be totally extensible. And that led to this notion of engines. And so there's what's called the basic engine in regular open. And then in pro there's something called the smart engine. So this other global concurrency limits and rate limit stuff is only through pro and it uses essentially a table, a different table of producers and it coordinates everything that it's doing through these producers. It's an advantage in a way that you're using Postgres because you have a centralized place. You're not trying to do this distributed consensus like raft kind of thing to share stuff. There's a very, very small performance hit from having to do this coordination, but it ends up being some graceful advisory locks and really small backups and jitter and all of the nitty gritty kind of stuff that you would need to coordinate those. And in the end, it really just made, we're using another table with, some concurrency constraints around reading and writing to shared records.
1: If I just spun up an app with with Oban and I'm using it to handle some background processes, like nothing major, at what point am I going to start running into the level of complexity that would impel me to look at pro?
2: We say pro like this umbrella term, and we really kind of mean web, which is the dashboard, and pro. And so pro are these additional plugins and, and workers that coordinate things. But there's also web, which is just to get you the dashboard so you can see what's running and go through and filter things or cancel things and, and do all that. And I think...
4: Which and, you can do. You can do batch cancellations. You can yeah. That's a huge bonus.
2: But I think that. so many of the people that start, even if they're just kicking off the project, they really want to see what's happening instead of having their own little like bespoke SQL scripts that they run to check errors and that kind of stuff. So I think that's the most compelling thing when you're starting before you have these more complex data flows that you want to do.
1: Oh, so do you have a number of people go straight to pro just for the dashboard?
4: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, interesting. Very cool. Eric, do you want to talk some more about, because I think you wrote a lot of these cool feature questions, so I don't want to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm, uh, you mentioned canceling a job. I'm most like, how do you, stop something that's already running do you just kill the process or is there something else
2: going on
4: if you're in pro it's as easy as checking a box
2: well, a dashboard, a dashboard oh, yeah. yeah
4: if you're in the dashboard of the ui which is where i love
2: to play yeah it, it is it comes down to actually killing a process it's something that is pretty much impossible without the beam because in somewhere else it would be something running in a thread and you can't just interrupt a thread the beam is the reason that you can kill the task The other part though, is that there's the PubSub side of it, is that every, all the communication for whether you're scaling or stopping or canceling, it all uses PubSub to broadcast out. So you don't have to cancel a job on the same node where you're clicking on the dashboard or whatever it happens to be.
1: When is the Oban book coming out?
3: I wish the audience could have seen the way you two just looked at each other.
4: (laughs) The, the open stand-up comedy tour is yeah. probably <laughs> more likely.
2: Yeah.
4: I would, that Shannon's would be, going to
2: headline the comedy tour.
4: No.
1: You guys should definitely give conference talks together. I would die.
4: With our daughter being a junior and a stats major, she's learning R and Python. Mm-hmm. And she absorbs so much information through video tutorials. And if her professor is listening, we do not help her. We mildly assist, but as far (laughs) as that's concerned, she really does seek out video tutorials for R and for Python. So we've been keen to develop some tutorial videos that's slated. Instead of a book, I would say that's something we've discussed and actually started planning for.
5: Hmm.
2: Hmm. There's also planning to really overhaul the guides and get it. So documentation as well. Much closer to what the official Ecto book, would be or the Phoenix book. It's which is really a, a better guide story. Turns out that takes a lot of time and it's really hard to do. It
4: does. It it takes far more work than you realize to make your documentation beautiful and not look like a dentistry textbook. It's interesting that you you talk
3: about you know your daughter's at an age where she's learning programming. I was just thinking that if my dad were out here trying to teach me Elixir, it would not work. Strong <laughs>
2: would not work.
4: Just so do oh, know yeah, no way.
2: <laughs> yeah. We We're, at no point have ever said that she should learn. A yeah
4: Rion, Rion feels the same way. We're just old. I mean, she's nice. We're not old in a bad way. We're just we don't understand.
1: So wait, just to clarify though, you have empirical evidence that your daughter likes to learn technical stuff from videos. That's correct. Yeah,
5: and, and Absolutely. the smart
1: logic marketing department will hear that, and I will not be alone in my advocating for video. Content. Okay, cool. All right. Yes, I'm just absolutely. glad that's they, they absorb
4: everything from schoolwork to makeup to, I mean, they'll just sit and study together on a video call and then exchange texts while they're on it. It's such a huge medium for just social, for learning, for education. It's a, I really feel like a book is a fantastic idea. Time is a finite resource in our life. So I think video yeah. content is what we're geared towards. I can totally see
3: that. And especially like this generation of learning is so different. I also, if I had a Skillshare you know, account, I'd probably be in there all the time. I definitely have learned how to do a lot of fun and crazy things just from YouTube. I did not think about teaching myself the harder things in college by YouTube, even though I, I was on YouTube all the time. I just... Those two things didn't cross over in my head and now they do. So it's interesting that there's this shift in digital learning, especially in the past year. Uh, We're seeing, you know, more YouTube channels pop up. So that's actually very interesting to hear about.
4: Thank you for sharing that. That's really helpful to us as well.
2: And it's all actually very encouraging for this. Absolutely. For for that idea.
1: Oh, I'll definitely watch your Obon videos for sure. (laughs) The other day, actually, I I went to spin up like a nightly worker. And I found one of Eric's videos on spinning up nightly workers, you know, like just with a you know, bare bones gen server implementation.
3: But and then there uh, there was this joke about how Eric's time is so precious. So Justice had to go find pre-recorded Eric to help him instead of actually ask Eric.
1: Eric in the past is almost as good as Eric in the now.
2: That's okay. I can imagine Eric- That's wonderful. Eric wanted to go look up how to start a nightly worker and then finding his own material. How to do
4: that? I think so we the, need the uh, Eric time continuum.
0: <laughs> I've always said one of the best reasons to write your own blog is so that you can read it six months later to see how to do the thing you wanted to do. So
4: <laughs> I believe Parker's quoted you on that, Eric,
2: or it was from The Last Crusade when Sean Connery says it, but I think it's very similar.
4: Ah, that could be it.
2: So, y'all have been interacting with
1: Elixir Erlang for a long time. I'm curious if you have aspects of the beam that you find.
2: Not great.
4: Parker outed me on the documentation pretty hardcore. I mean, he just dropped the mic on me.
2: But that's not the beam's fault.
4: It is not. That's <laughs> it's oh, not fine. the beam's yeah. fault.
2: I think if you had asked this six months ago, maybe actually even a little, a little longer ago, the two things I would have said would be raw performance comparable to something like Java with Hotspot and all that. But then we got the JIT. And then after that, I probably would have said something about numerical computation and how it's not a good fit for machine learning. And then we got N x. So I think my primary complaints are kind of addressed. They're in their infancy, but addressed.
1: So do you think that we're in like a golden age of software engineering right now and that like basically from here, it's like, it's like the fifties when it comes to movies, like since then they've just been downhill. Like is this, do we have nothing to look forward to in software?
4: so much is stable now and open source builds on that stability and trust it is pretty fabulous
2: i'm gonna say i don't think we're there yet even having been a developer for over 20 years i just want to upgrade tailwind but that <laughs> means i have to upgrade post css but that breaks my <laughs> webpack and then i have to upgrade webpack and then i have to search through Tailwind change logs and deprecation notices for six months and I still didn't get it to work. And after half an hour, there you I, go. I quit. It's
4: rant time. It's coming so, down. It's raining.
1: So wait, the real biggest problem is JavaScript? I think just dependencies in general.
2: We're not using Perl, but everything's still just kind of duct taped together. We we don't have build systems like Nix for most things. Mm. Maybe Elixir's in the kind of a golden age, but I don't think computing in general is anywhere close to it.
5: Mm-mm.
4: JavaScript is his trigger word. Okay, you yeah. found it. Good I feel job. Like a lot, a lot of
3: people in the Elixir community will agree with you on that one.
0: I think I can see Eric yeah. biting his tongue right now. Yeah, we can throw out all of npm. I think, I think the world <laughs>
1: would be better. Okay, what, what lies hidden, Oban, uh, that we don't have to think about, but also maybe if you could just talk about like little known features, people would love to hear that.
4: Horizontal scaling, seamless oh. horizontal scaling, or.
2: I think that's a pretty big one, but I don't know, I don't know how hidden that is. We started this, it's supposed to be twice a week. Supposed to be twice a week that there's a tip series. And we're, I think, on twenty-seven now. So we post them to Twitter and it's a tip of not the week, but you know, of the day to give you a little, a little hint. And so we've been kind of digging down into things. And but they're all user facing kind of things, little bits that people can tweak or use to control. And a lot of the hairy bits are the things that actually take time that are orchestrating processes. The complexity is all orchestrating supervision trees and processes behind the scenes and then... Which isn't clustering. It's all time problems. It's either time to actually spend fixing it or time to coordinate when things are doing something. It's
4: all one big cron problem.
2: Yeah. Or time zones. Or time zones. Yeah. Yeah, Which is still a cron problem. It's true.
4: It's still a cron problem. (laughs) Calculating time. Everything to do with time. And there's our Latin root word of the day.
2: Cron. Cron. It, yeah. But it has an H and we don't.
4: We we omit the H.
1: Cron is Latin. Well, you learn something new every day.
4: So
3: when you were setting up Oben Pro and you were setting it up as something you can work on, work on together, do you consider it a success? Is there any advice you'd give for someone else who's doing
5: kind of the same thing that you are?
4: I do believe it's a success. You? Yeah, I yeah.
5: think
2: it's totally a success. It's worked out. Very well. And I think it's the only way that we would have been able to have time to actually work on the open the open source version of it at all.
4: Move your goalposts. That's a big thing we've learned. We had these huge goals and we had these marketing ideals when we started. And we were afraid to implement those changes because it's, it's a scary thing to try to discover whether or not people want to monetize an idea for you.
2: If you're willing to really...
4: They're really willing to do it. And the last year has really given us the courage and the time to do that. So commit the time, do it.
2: I think something that we touched on briefly was about the amount of support, but it seems like you're just writing code that happens to be closed source. But so much of it is really, don't sleep on the amount of time it takes to support people.
4: Don't procrastinate. Even to support your own infrastructure. It pays off to support people well.
2: And it makes the community healthier. So I I really hope that we have other indie hacker, indie developer kind of people in the community that put out something really high quality that they can sustain long term. And it's not just something that they do part time or on the weekend, but really something that they can get behind and make a living on.
1: Well, I know that it's an aspiration for a lot of people, and I really hope that you continue to flourish and people continue to use Oban Pro, and hopefully one day I'll get the chance to, and yeah. I have learned a lot today, actually. I'll put it that way, but we do have to wrap up. We'd like to give the uh, guest the last word, so if you have any any final plugs, asks for the audience where people can find you, rants that we missed, the time is yours.
4: I think Oban is controlled magic. That's my blurb.
2: If you have a business that relies on Open, there's a lot in Web & Pro that will possibly help your business out, and you should really check it out. It helps support open source Open, keeps it healthy, keeps us able to work on it, and keeps new features and stuff flowing into Web and & Pro.
4: And we're committed to supporting you as much as you support us. So thank you.
1: Hey, thank you for joining us on Elixir Wizards. Before we close out the show, we'd like to share another quick mini feature interview with you. It's a brief segment where we showcase somebody from the community that's working at a company using Elixir in production, and we'll learn about how they're using Elixir. Hope you enjoy it.
5: Hello, and welcome to our new mini feature segment of Elixir Wizards. My name is Alex Hausend, and today we're speaking with Joe Peck, a software engineer at Spreedly. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, great to be here. Thanks for joining. It's really nice to have you. So Joe, how did you get started in software development? I saw that you said you are a, a longtime Rubyist. Was that the first language you worked in?
6: That was the first language, yeah, I worked in professionally. I graduated with a computer science degree from NC State and then started at a three person startup in Raleigh. And I've basically worked in other startups since then, usually bigger than three people. But yeah, Ruby's been my main language. And then the last year, a lot more Elixir.
5: That's awesome. What were some challenges of going straight from college to a three-person startup? Was that a difficult transition? Were you kind of preparing for a more corporate life? Or were you aiming to be in the startup world?
6: I think the corporate life, a corporate job wouldn't be such a good fit for me. And I wouldn't be a good fit for that. And since I was fresh out of college, I didn't really know that I should be worried going into a three-person startup. Um, and it was a great chance to put on so many different hats and try so many different things. And I learned a ton there, way more than in college.
5: Yeah, absolutely. The preparedness that you get in college, really, it really doesn't prepare you for what a real job is like, I think.
6: Yeah, it can't compare.
5: So did you start working in Elixir when you moved over to Spreedly? Not
6: right away, but about a year ago, almost exactly. I switched on to a team where we deal almost only with Elixir projects. And I'd used it before a little bit for side projects or advent of code. But yeah, this was my first time using it professionally. So I've definitely been learning a lot the last year.
5: Yeah. What has been that transition like for you?
6: It hasn't been too bad. I think Spreedly is a great place to make that transition. There's been a lot of experienced Elixirists who I can sort of lean on or ask them questions. But the way we use Elixir at Spreedly, it's mainly for microservices. So it's sort of easier to wrap your head around what each repo is doing or what each app's doing and just figure it out.
5: Talking about Spreedly, can you give us a, a brief elevator pitch for what Spreedly does?
6: Spreadly makes it really easy to sort of plug in a, a payment solution. That'll handle PCI compliance, storing credit cards. We can even sort of do smart routing where you pass us a list of the payment gateways you have access to. And we'll tell you which one has the best chance of success based on the card and recent data and the currency and things like that. So Spreadly does online payments, basically.
5: Cool. That is a great brief elevator pitch. So you said that you're on a team that uses Elixir. So Spreadly doesn't use Elixir across the board?
6: Not across the board, no. We're mainly either Ruby or Elixir. Elixir is used for a lot of our newer microservices that sort of float around these bigger Ruby and Rails apps. Yeah, we use it for our secondary system, which means that it doesn't have any pan data. And that's just primary account number, like credit card data. Yeah. So we have to be real careful about that. I don't think any of that ever gets to the systems that use Elixir.
5: Cool. How many teams are there?
6: Oh, boy. It changes, you know, every half year or year or so. Right. I think there's about five or six teams, engineering teams. And I think I'm on the biggest one. We have seven engineers.
5: Cool. And is Breedley also based in North Carolina?
6: Yeah, it's based in Durham between Chapel Hill and Raleigh.
5: I spent some time in in the Raleigh area. It's a nice little part of the world.
6: It definitely is. Yeah, it's great.
5: How did you kind of find Elixir personally? How did you come across it?
6: Um, The first time I knew about it was at a job way back. We had a hackathon where you could just build something. And a coworker of mine asked if I wanted to work on an Elixir app. This was probably like 2014 or something. And I'd never heard of it. So I tried it. It seemed really fast. It read pretty easily. But it it reads a lot closer to Ruby than how it acts. So like it can sort of fool you. And then besides, it's like since then, I've I've used it for some small personal things. And then uh, here at Spreadly professionally for bigger things.
5: Which must be incredibly exciting when you get to transition over into using something that you enjoy working in.
6: Yeah, yeah. I've been really lucky. Like, I've used mainly Python, Ruby, and Elixir at my work, and those all seem to be pretty good languages. It's not painful ones to learn.
5: Do you have a favorite one?
6: I still like Ruby a lot, maybe just because I know it so well, but I like Elixir a ton, too. Um, You can do some really cool stuff with pattern matching and recursion. Yeah, when you're using it the right way, it just seems really like beautiful code and it's really easy to understand.
5: Now, does Spreedly try to hire engineers that have previous Elixir experience or you know, when you come in, we will teach you?
6: I think we try to hire people who have Elixir experience. There aren't many. It's hard, it's hard enough to hire people with Ruby experience and there's a lot less Elixir people. We mainly focus on just bringing in good programmers who are a great culture fit And then they can pick up Elixir once they get here. And there's been a lot of people here who have learned it on the job and have gone on to do really good things with it.
5: I think that's a good way for most companies to go about hiring really any engineers, right? Like you want good people first.
6: Yeah, yeah. People who can learn also. And then once they get there, they just learn it.
5: What are the resources like that you have been able to use to learn Elixir?
6: So for me personally... Advent of code was has been pretty good because you can see other people's solutions and you can see how much better they are and then realize, oh, I should have done this. Besides that, at Spreedly, we have like an Elixir Slack channel and Spreedlings have gone to ElixirConf uh, for a long time, remotely last year, I guess. And then also, you know, we have a, tra- a training stipend for classes and conferences and books. And then there's some experienced Elixirists at Spreely, and they've been really helpful answering questions or explaining things.
5: That's awesome. I'm guessing you kind of had a similar Elixir onboarding experience to that then, just letting you learn the language as you got to work in it in real time.
6: Yeah, yeah. And for me, that's definitely the learning style that's best, like actually trying it out and seeing, oh, that doesn't work or this works really well.
5: Yeah. You just said something. Employees at Spreedly called Spreedlings?
6: Yeah, like seedlings.
5: I love that.
6: Yeah, Yeah, that's one of the reasons I joined.
5: (laughs) I think that's great. It's pretty cute. Anything that really makes your job more fun, I think, is a great thing.
6: Yeah, I, I agree 100%.
5: So speaking of fun, if you weren't a software engineer, what would you be?
6: A small time farmer slash hot sauce maker. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've done that stuff really small, like like just a garden or selling hot sauce to a few people. But if that could actually like pay the bills, that'd be awesome.
5: Would you grow all of the ingredients necessary to make your own hot sauce?
6: I'd grow as many as I could, I think, like special peppers and stuff like that.
5: I love that. Well, Joe... I would buy your hot sauce if you decided to become a hot sauce maker.
6: Okay. I'll put you on the list then.
5: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much to Joe Peck for joining us today. And to all of our listeners, if you or your company are using Elixir in an interesting way and want to come on the show for a mini feature, we'd love to have you. Reach out to us at podcast at smartlogic.io with your name, your company's name, and how you're using Elixir.
1: And I hope they do. That's it for this episode of Elixir Wizards. Thank you again to our guests, Shannon and Parker Selbert, for joining us today. Elixir Wizards is a smart logic production. Today's hosts include myself, Justice Epen, and my co-host, Sunday Mint. Our producer is Eric Ostrich and our executive producer is Rose Burt. We get production and promotion assistance from Michelle McFadden and Ashley Stotts. Here at Smart Logic, we build custom web and mobile software. We're always looking to take on new projects. We work in Elixir, Rails, React, Kubernetes, and React Native. If you need a piece of custom software, hit us up. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Follow at SmartLogic on Twitter for news and episode announcements. You can also find us on the Elixir Wizards Discord. Just head on over to the podcast page to find the link. And don't forget to join us again next week for more on Beam Magic.